Well, if you have a Bible tonight, open it up to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We're looking at verse 25 and following. Welcome to Crossroad. We're glad you're here. My name is Greg Pinkner. We're going through the book of Ephesians, verse by verse, and we've kind of come to the part of Ephesians where Paul, the guy who wrote Ephesians, is starting to talk about marriage. So we're taking a few weeks to go through those verses and talk about marriage. Now, if you weren't here last week, we started off by talking about marriage is ultimately meant to be a living sermon where Christ and the church is more powerfully shown. So if we, if we don't catch a couple of contexts here, then what Paul has to say about being a husband, uh, what Paul has to say about being a wife won't make any sense. It'll seem bizarre. It'll seem a little twisted. It'll seem like no one could possibly do that or even would want to do that. Uh, before we even begin, though, we have to remind ourselves, as we've been looking, if you've been with us every week along the way, that the entire context of this whole section of, of Scripture in, in Ephesians comes from Paul having written in 521 that we are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's the thesis. So when you get into husbands, live like Christ for your wife's sake. And you get to wives, live like Christ for your husband's sake. You have to remember that he's calling everybody to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And that's why my prayer tonight is that we would see this as a call to worship. Because if you don't understand that life is about becoming a Jesus worshiper, then none of this is going to make sense. You won't want to live this out. You won't be able to live this out. If your first and last thought is that I want to be a Jesus worshiper and I want to live as a Jesus worshiper, that's the context that these verses will make sense in. Other than that, they won't. All right? So let me just real kind of quickly kind of set the stage for you. We've seen uh, last week that Paul says that the ultimate marriage language in the Bible is a man will leave his mother and father and he will hold fast to his wife and they will become one flesh. And then Paul gives a very cryptic statement about that and says, but I am saying this is about Jesus and the church, about Christ and the church. And we talked about how what marriage is, is a sermon where it shows two becoming one. The church is one with Jesus. And the reason that husband and wife become one in marriage is that they are an image of two separate individuals swearing themselves to one another forever. And no matter what happens, not separating. Now, you can look in the New Testament and see there's places where uh, Jesus and Paul say, you know, if this happens and you, and you divorce, that's there because you're sinners. But the, the plan for marriage was that two would swear themselves together and be together forever. Because that's what Jesus in the church is. Jesus has sworn that anyone who comes to him, he will never forsake. You are with him forever. And that's what marriage was supposed to be. A visual, a visual uh, sermon for people to see to go, look, here's two that have sworn themselves together and they will never part. They can sin against each other. They can do horrible things to one another. They can say horrible things to one another. But neither one of them are going anywhere. 
because they've sworn themselves to one another. And Jesus in the church was meant to be the image that marriage places up. Well, in order to do that, you have to have a husband and you have to have a wife that swear themselves to being husbands and wives. And being husbands and wives that desire to be worshipers of Jesus to allow the fullness of that glory to shine through them. So tonight, we're going to take on the role of husbands. And next week, we'll take on the role of wives. What does Paul say about the role of husbands? What does Paul say about the role of wives? And how does each represent Jesus in the church? How does each shine through? What are you called to? Um, one of the greatest shows uh, or, or epics, if you will, not like a TV show, but like one of the greatest epics of human ridiculousness was the uh, hyper PC movement of the early 90s. Okay? Now, you think you have PC now, like you have to be all PC. You don't know nothing about PC, okay? When PC first started coming around was when I was in college 412 years ago, all right? Uh, I was in school from 90 to 95. Yeah, shut up. Okay, so I was in school then, and uh, PC was really just becoming kind of a thing that people thought about. And it was like radical, like if you said anything wrong, even if you just you know, spit it out on accident. You got just screamed at. I mean, just like people try to scalp you, which was kind of un-PC, but they would. Um, I can remember being in school and like, and of course we didn't even, before there were no words like chairperson. You said chairman. So if you went, well, the chairman, chairperson. okay, wow. I can remember being at school and, um, uh, this, this is in one of the indelible moments of my life that I'd remember. You know, you have those memories where you can just think about it and you remember every detail of the moment, like the light, the smell, the sounds. You're, you're, this is one of those moments for me. I'm walking out of the language arts buildings at the University of North Texas, which is where I went to school. And um, there's a girl walking up the steps and I walk out and I push the door open and I kind of turn around to grab the door to let her walk in. And she looks at me and goes, so you think I can't open a door for myself? <laughs> and I'm holding the door and I went. <laughs> and I just walked off. Man, like I've thought of like 10,000 of the best like jokes I could have pulled like ever. But none of them came to me at the time. I just walked off and went, so now you can't even open the door for people. Like, I wasn't even thinking, she's a girl, open the door for her. I was thinking, here comes somebody, hold the door for him. Apparently, no. What I should have done, here's my best thing, is let her start walking in and go, bow, and just like bump it into her. I'm like, oh, sorry about that. <laughs> okay. Um, but I remember being in classes, and one of the things that was really like the, the, the push for PC was gender equality. All right. Now, not that the sexes shouldn't be treated with equal rights, but at the time, the push was that there's no distinctions between the sexes. None. Like people didn't want to hear that men are stronger. Well, that's not really true. There are women that are stronger than men. Some, but if you get the world's strongest man and the world's strongest woman, does anyone in here think that the woman's going to be stronger than the man? But this was the time people were going, you can't say that. It was just stupid. It was, it was just people being stupid, all right? 
And, and more and more, as science is evolving, we're, we're able to see fetal brain waves. We're learning that even uh, male and female babies act different in the womb, that their brains are fundamentally different. Specifically, the man's brain is half dead, okay? <laughs> it's true, guys. Uh, when, with the first chemical hormone wash that goes through the human body, if it's testosterone, if it's going to be a male baby, kills most of the receptor brain cells that go between the two stems of the brain, which is why men cannot tell you what they're feeling. Like women go, why? tell me how you're feeling. I can't. The language center of the brain and the emotional center of the brain are disconnected. They're, they're half of it's dead in the man. And the women, it's all fine. It works fine. Men are like, I can't tell you how I feel. Why aren't you open with your feelings? Because I don't have them. Okay? That's why. They've done studies to show they, they get these toddlers. And of course, in the 90s, it's like, well, they're socialized different. But now they're beginning to show, no, it's not that they're socialized different. Get ready for this. Men are more aggressive than women. Okay? They, I remember watching 2020 where they got these, these toddlers and they would put the mother on the other side of a plexiglass thing so the baby couldn't see it. And these toddlers would get up and finally when the baby wanted its mother to come to them, the, the girl babies almost to a fault would sit down and start crying using their voices trying to get their mother to come to them. And the male babies would walk up to the plexiglass thing and start going, boom, 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 boom. And you start beating on it like, I will break it down. Okay, there are fundamental differences between us. We are physiologically different. You're like, really? Yeah. And it's just dumb to pretend that we're not. But that's why it is one of the greatest epics of human ridiculousness. No, there's no distinction between male and female. No, there should be no distinction between male and female rights. But there's differences between male and female, and you're dumb if you don't think so. I'm sorry to be straightforward. It's another one of those male things. You are dumb. Okay? There it is. Uh, you know, what's four plus one? Five. What's two plus three? Five. They're equal, but they're not the same. Um, that's, that's men and women. That's how it should be. We're different, and we should celebrate those differences. We should be treated equally, but we're not the same. Now, the reason I say that to you is God created male and female. God is the one who created male and female and God created marriage. And he created marriage for the male and female that he created and he created it for a reason. And the reason that he does this is so that we can try to show Jesus in the church in a way that glorifies him. Now, there is absolutely it's absolutely true that we are different individuals, okay? There are some, uh, you say, uh, stereotypically, women talk more than men. They use 3,000 more words a day than men, stereotypically. But there are some women who are very quiet and don't talk a lot, right? They're, they're shy or they're just quiet. They're individuals. But even a quiet, you know, uh, woman is probably not as quiet as the quietest man. So, so it's, it's individual, absolutely. Don't come up to me and go, well, I'm a woman and I'm aggressive. I hear voices like that, I guess. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know where that came from exactly. But uh, 
Yeah, let's make room for the individual here. Absolutely. There's going to be uh, women who feel they're very aggressive. There's going to be men who are, are not very aggressive. You know what I mean. You know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about stereotypical uh, uh, behaviors and then make room for the individual. So somebody came up to me beforehand and said, is this going to be one of those talks where I leave just totally depressed? You know, like husbands, I'm, like, I'm just going to walk in here going, well, I'll never be able to do that. Yeah, it is. Uh, <laughs> And the wives, one will be the same as well. But the reason is, what is the fundamental Christian command? What is Jesus' command to his followers? You know what it is? Be perfect. Oh, okay, easy. So there's a sense in which, yeah, what we're going to talk about tonight is impossible. You're going to be like, I can't do that. The point is, make it your goal. Make it, make it your desire to be that. Uh, you will not walk out of here with a little checklist going, if I do these things, then I fulfilled God's purpose in being a husband. Or if I look for these things in a, in a husband, then I fulfilled God, God's role in what I should look for in a husband. No, no, no. It's not going to be like that. All right. All right. In order to understand the roles that we play and, and more specifically what we need to overcome to play those roles, we need to begin in Genesis chapter one. In Genesis chapter one, when God creates uh, Adam and Eve and creates marriage, he gives husbands and wives some very specific commandments. Now, if you believe that uh, Genesis one is literal and there really wasn't Adam and Eve, or even if, if you don't, if you believe it's figurative, I disagree with you, I do believe it's literal, but that's not the point because even if it was figurative, the commandments are the same, right? So it doesn't matter. So here's Genesis Genesis 1, verses uh, 26 through 28. And then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. Now, uh, man in Hebrew, it also means humanity. So you just have a, la- a linguistic distinction. That's why you have the plural them. You're going to see later it means male and female. Let us make man in our image. It's not like men are in God's image and women aren't. That's not exactly true, okay? Let us uh, make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, here is the commandments God has put before humanity, men and women. One, be fruitful and multiply. Two, subdue the earth. Three, do it together. Okay, them, he said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion, do it together. Those are the three commandments. So we know what happens. Adam and Eve sin, and God pronounces curses on Adam and Eve. And what you're going to find is that those curses on Adam and Eve frustrate those three commandments. Are you with me? Uh, here's the three commandments. Do it together. Uh, subdue the earth, be fruitful and multiply. Well, if, if you don't know the curses, let me skip ahead to for you real quick and just you know, give you a nutshell. Uh, Adam is cursed to work the ground, but only get thistles from it. Eve is cursed to have greatly increased pain in childbearing, thus to be fruitful and multiply. Uh, work the ground, but only get thistles, subdue the earth. And then they're both cursed according to their, their husband and wives. 
Uh, Eve is told, your desire will be for your husband, and she will rule, rule over you. And uh, Adam is cursed with, uh, uh, well, let, let's just go to Adam's curse. Uh, it's in 317, chapter 317. This is the curse on Adam after sin. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Now, uh, it says because you have listened to your wife. We'll come back to that. That's one of the curses placed on, on men and women now. Um, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. Uh, by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. That's the curse on men. And when we see these curses on men, the first number one thing, guys in the room, you need to know that, that besides having a sin nature, you as a male are cursed by God in sin in a certain way, and that way is the notion and the overwhelming pressing in of futility. Okay, futility. Uh, you shall return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Now, it just sounds like you're gonna die, but that's not exactly what it's saying. What it's saying is, you, man, will be aware of how futile things are. And so the essence of it is, what I'm, the point I'm trying to get to and get there fast, because I don't want to spend a ton of time on this, is that men are cursed with passivity. And by passivity, I don't mean that they aren't aggressive. We already know that's true. There's a difference between aggressive and being passive. I don't mean that men aren't high achievers. We all know that there are men that are just driven to succeed in certain things. What it means is, that there is a degree in which areas of every man's life will be touched where they are lethargic. And they, they just don't care. And it usually comes in the places you would never expect it. Uh, it, it. It can be work. Some guys are just lazy. They're just lazy by their nature. You can't, it doesn't matter what you do, you can't stir them up, you can't get them going. They are passive. They see no point in putting out effort. It can be relationally. This is how most men are cursed. Most men are cursed with passivity when it comes to relationships. They have friends, but not deep ones. They have girlfriends, but they never want to talk about anything. They get married, and they don't want to engage their wives or their kids. Why do we see an entire generation growing up fatherless? Because of passive men. Men that don't want to engage, don't know how to engage, because in truth, they can't. They are, they are spiritually unable. Now, my point in that is that if you are a Christ believer, you are freed from that, but you need to confess it. You need to notice it in yourself. You need to pursue engagement, not just allow passivity to wash over you. Um, there's, a old, uh, uh, there's an old stat, for example, in the church, women do 80% of the work in the church. Why is that? I can tell you from experience, it is like pulling, not teeth, but every tooth and skinning them alive 
to get a man to volunteer in the church. They won't do it. Oh yeah, guys will volunteer with youth groups for a while and we'll get to why in a minute. Uh, usually because it's fun and guys have extended adolescence because of passivity. Um, but uh, try to get a guy, a man to lead a group, to, to be a, a volunteer in this or that. Can't do it. Can't do it. They won't do it. Doesn't matter what you do. I've stabbed a few dudes. <laughs> they won't get out. They won't do it. If you're going to be a Christ follower, you need to know that about yourself. You need to be ready to engage now. All right? So that's the curse on men. The curse on men is this passive nature that comes out spiritually. They don't want to engage God. They don't want to engage Jesus. They don't want to engage God's people. Uh, women are usually dragging their husbands to church. The man is setting a terrible example for his kids because he won't be the leader. A lot of guys want to be, I want to be the spiritual leader. I know I'm supposed to be that. And so what that is is, oh, I'll read the Bible every once in a while. That's not what being a spiritual leader is. What being a spiritual leader is, is engaging, being active, trying. It doesn't mean that you have it all down and you know theology, you can quote Wayne Grudem and all that kind of stuff. That's not what being a spiritual leader is. A spiritual leader is someone who is engaged in the moment, engaged with his family, engaged with his friends, trying to know them deeper, not sitting around being lethargic because it's so easy. Statistically speaking, you, if you're a guy in this room, you will not be married until you're close to 30. Now, if you're in here and you're 20, you're going, oh, okay, but that's the statistics. Why? Because more and more men are allowing their disassociation from culture to drive them. We got 30 year old video game players who don't know how to talk to a girl. All right. Is there anything wrong with video games? You no. Know. No, there's not. There's something wrong with four hours of video games, all right? Unless it's like Saturday and it's raining and you've been working all week. Okay, then that's a, but, but if you got the little headset and you're talking trash to some 12-year-old in Seattle, you got it. You're going to have a breakup. All right, 525, husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Well, that'll be easy, right? Oh, simple, okay. Uh, remember, these are the roles for husbands, not men. If you don't want this role, don't get married. It's really simple. But as soon as you do get married, this is what you're called to. Now, let me give the little sidebar for the ladies tonight, okay? Uh, ladies, one, you will not meet the perfect man. I'm already married. Two, <laughs> I try to be truthful. I'm telling the truth. Two, uh, and I'll get into the curse on women next week, but this is a one. This is a this is a manifestation of the curse on women. Ready? Two. You will not change him into the perfect man. 
Who he is is who he is. He'll mature, he'll learn, he'll grow, but who he is is who he is. And if you think, oh, I can change that, idiot. (laughs) Misery. That's your future, misery. Dating hides relational flaws. You know why? Because you can leave. You go home and go to bed and you don't have to see that moron. (laughs) Marriage, the moron climbs into bed next to you. (laughs) My point in this is don't look for the perfect guy because you won't find him, but two, look for a guy who's trying. All right? If you're thinking to yourself, well, I mean, yeah, he's not really a Christ follower. I mean, he is, but he... It's just not that important to him yet, but I know once we get married, he'll really become a Christ follower. No, he won't. All right? You need to be looking for someone, and I know this is totally against everything every woman is ever told to look for in a man. You need to look for a man who loves Jesus a lot more than he loves you. And I don't mean just a little bit. I mean that you feel ignored sometimes compared to Jesus, all right? Like if he's working with the youth group and it's your birthday and the youth leader comes to him and says, I really need you to go on this retreat. These guys that he, you've been meeting with, they need you on this retreat and it's your birthday and you go, but it's my birthday, you can't go on the retreat. And he says, I, I, I volunteered my time I set this time all aside for the Lord. You knew I was going to retreat. I'm doing this. And you go, well, we're just not going to be together. Um, have a guy that will say, okay. Not because he wants to go do the ropes course, by the way. <laughs> or paintball. But because he is about Jesus. Okay. All right, that was the free one. I would check your pockets now. All right. Because he's about Jesus, because he wants to know Christ more, he's willing to set you aside because he wants to know Christ more. Because let me tell you this, if while you're dating, he will set you aside because he wants to know Christ more, when you're married, he will pursue you more because he wants to know Christ. He won't let you go. Those things are equivalent. When Christ is paramount, you'll see it in the dating life and it will translate into the married life. Do not be fooled. Don't let that he comes to crossroad with you every week account for a spiritual relationship with Jesus. It just means he comes where his friends are. Watch him, listen to him, see what he's about. Make sure he's a Christ follower, that he wants Jesus more than you. All right, guys, by the way, that's gonna be your little sidebar when we talk next week about wives. Notice this is the ultimate statement for the husband. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, I told you that last week, 
I told you just a minute ago that a husband's curse, the man's curse, is passivity. And the reason that you see it opposed in what Jesus did is because Jesus is coming and giving himself for the church is the ultimate act of engagement. There's nothing passive about Jesus coming to rescue sinners. He leaves heaven. He comes among people who hate him. He saves them, he rescues them, he weeps with them, he admonishes them, he encourages them, he carries them. It's the ultimate act of engagement. And if you're gonna be a man that wants to be a godly husband and play the role of the husband, then you need to be one who engages your wife that seeks her spiritual good, that seeks her emotional good, that seeks her physical good, meaning you get a job so she can eat. You engage. You don't just sit back and kind of go, well, we're married now, which is exactly what you just see across the board. You pursue, you engage, you never quit that. In fact, when you get engaged, use it as your code word because that's you. You will engage that woman until you or she is dead because that's what Christ did. Christ is still engaging us. He is still calling to us. He pursues us, he desires us. That's what a husband does. The husband is the Christ figure in the marriage because it's on him to pursue her. Not just sexually. Spiritually, emotionally, relationally. And here's the thing, if you're not trying to learn to do those things now, I don't mean with the girl you're dating, I mean with other people. Are you in a small group of guys that you're talking and trying to engage and trying to learn how to engage people? Do you know how to confront somebody when you're mad at them? No. This generation, right here, technological cowards. When JC and I have, have, a, have to have a hard conversation with somebody, it's phone message, text, sometimes Facebook message. Can, I, can we sit down and talk? No, I don't really want to. Technological cowards. Technology's made us cowards. Oh, I mean, on the blog or on the internet, web, you know, placing on a board, anonymous, fireballer. I wish he'd say that to me. Well, let's sit down and talk. <laughs> If you can't confront your roommate about the frustrations that you have because he won't clean up his dishes, whatever, how are you going to ever confront your wife? Well, that's different. I promise you it's not. And if you're the kind of guy that just lets it boil up, boil up, boil up, boil up, boil up, boil up until finally you're like, let's go. You got a problem. All right. Not with the guy roommate, because sometimes you got to fight. That's how it is. <laughs> but if you can't talk it out now, you'll never be able to talk it out with your wife. Start learning now. Start con confronting now. That doesn't mean walk out of here and go, 
I'd pick a fight. <laughs> you wore my shirt tonight. Okay. You got a, you got a whole different set of issues there. All right. This is the primary goal of the husband, to engage as Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. See, here's the thing. The husband's role is to sanctify his wife. The word sanctify is just a fancy church term for make her more Christ-like. That is the goal of marriage. The goal of marriage is that whoever enters into marriage comes out of marriage more Christ-like than they were when they went into it, both the husband and the wife. If you want to be married, guys, your goal is to sanctify your wife, to make her more Christ-like. How? By pursuing Christian uh, fellowship, Bible study, church worship, attendance, uh, service. Notice it says by the washing of water with the word. That's really, really awkward in English. What it really means is by putting the word before the wife and allowing God's word to have power over her. See, in Jesus' time, when a wedding occurred, here's what would happen. The man, uh, when he was going to take a bride, would go to his father and say, I'm going to take a bride. And the father would say, okay, Let's, let's uh, get it worked out. And they'd go to the other family uh, and they'd say, hey, we want to buy your daughter. That's what they did. So they would go and they'd say, my son wants to marry your daughter. We're going to buy her. And they'd say, okay, here's the dowry. And uh, so, uh, they would either, depending on the culture, the man would give a dowry to that family or more often the, uh, the wife's family would pay the husband to take her. I know, I know. There's too many jokes there. I'm not going to make them. Um, <laughs> But they would pay the husband to take her. So then he would go back and his father would give him part of his inheritance and he would build a house. And he would spend, in, in Jewish culture, you got engaged and then one year later, you, you, you were married. Engagement was marriage. So it's one and the same. You were betrothed is what they called it. And then for one year, you didn't live together. That was to make sure the wife was sexually pure, wasn't gonna have somebody else's kid. This is what Mary and Joseph run into, by the way. Then one year from the engagement, they would have the bridal procession. Now see if this sounds familiar. They would give the wife a bath, which they only bathed like once a year, so that was a big deal. Which, by the way, women, here's the next thing for you. Take a bath on your wedding day, right? <laughs> Write that down. And then they would dress her all in white, and they would parade her through the street, and the, the husband and his best man would be standing waiting for them and they would carry the woman through the streets and they would bring her to the, her new home with this man and then they would be married. That was it. So when you see the bride come in the back and walk down and the man in the bed, that's, well, that's what they're doing. You're just reenacting that old custom. I mean, if the, the wife is bathed. So, um, but when it says washing, that's the idea. She, this woman who uh, Jews were the cleanest people of ancient culture, all right? Because they washed themselves all the times because of Judaism, called for ritual bathings. But to be bathed was to be clean. I mean, uh, most cultures had no concept of bathing. 
but th- they would just wash this woman and she would be sparkling clean. And that's the picture that Paul's trying to get across here is husbands, your job is to make this woman as holy and clean as you can and lead her toward that. And you lead her toward that with the word. The water you wash her with is the word. Uh, my wife and I have been married for nine years. Yeah, uh, nine years. And one of the things that I try to do is engage my wife's mind with the word and talk about the Bible and, and, and theology and uh, what do we think about this issue biblically. T- we watch a movie. Tell me, let's talk about the spiritual theme in that. What do we learn from that? My wife meets with young women and disciples them. And sometimes she'll come to me and say, hey, listen, I'm dealing with this issue. Uh, give me some advice. Okay, let's talk. Let's go to the Bible. Let's, let's. It's simple stuff like that. But it's placing the word in front of her and then the word does the work. You can't sanctify anybody. You can't. But the word can. What you can do is make the word a part of your lives. And if you don't do that, there's no hope. With the word, there's power, there's capability. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. The husband's role is the same as Christ. Christ is presenting the church to himself spotless. The, the husband's goal is to present his wife to Christ spotless. And so my question for you today is, because if it's true that most of the guys in this room will not be married until they approach 30, let's talk about today. And here's my question for you today. What are you doing now with the girl you are dating to present her spotless? How are you leading relationally? How are you leading physically? Because if you don't marry her, you're throwing dirt on someone else's wife and her white dress. So you're either presenting her more godly now, even before you're married to her. What's your role? Hey, the girl that you want to be dating that doesn't even know you yet. How are you prepared to present her spotless? You're like, I don't know. I don't know her yet. But she's sitting right there. (laughs) I'm going to get some air. (laughs) Spotless. JC, call the cops. Uh, (laughs) you You are preparing for her now before you know her. Are you a man of the word now? Don't think, okay, I'll become a man of word as soon as I meet her. So God, as soon as you bring her, I'll become a man of the word. There's our deal. Right? That's not how it works. Become a man of the word now. 
Become a man who's pursuing Christ now, who's pursuing relationships now, who's pursuing emotional engagement now with people. Become the man now that you want to be when you're dating so you can become the man when you're dating that you want to be when you're married. We wait. We sit around waiting. Well, I won't know how to be a good boyfriend until I have a girlfriend. Some ways. But here's the thing. You can be a Christ follower now, and being a Christ follower is what makes a good boyfriend. Being a Christ follower is what makes a good husband. And you can do that now. And if you don't do it now, you won't be a good boyfriend, and you won't be a good husband no matter how hard you try to be. You will not be able to fulfill this role. Verse 28, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Verse 29, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Now, you shouldn't miss the allusion to Christ's second greatest commandment. Do you remember what the greatest commandment is? Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is love your neighbor, how? As yourself. So when he says love your wife as yourself, this is just a takeoff on that commandment. Because think about it. If you love your neighbor as yourself, how should you treat the person you live with? Don't treat your neighbor better than you treat your own flesh. See, the the biblical allusion to the idea that men and women become one in marriage, that's descriptive. It's not theoretical. So when you, husbands, place your wife first, and love her, and treat her as you would treat yourself. You are, in fact, loving yourself. You are setting yourself up for joy and happiness by loving your wife well. Here's the mistake that culture divorced from God's word makes. I'm unhappy in my marriage, so I'll just get divorced, and then I'll be happy. Wrong. See, let's say that Uh, your marriage is causing you, on a scale of one to 135 pain, right? And you say, I can't take it anymore. I'm gonna get a divorce because I want a zero pain score and I've got a 35 pain score and I want out. What you don't realize is that divorce causes an 80 pain score. You're causing more pain for yourself. Where if you would love your wife, and place her on the same level of priority that you place yourself, your pain score would go down. It would still be like 20 because you live with a sinner. It's ridiculous. Take the notion of perfect marriage and destroy it once and for all. And instead, place before yourself a marriage of two Christ followers loving Jesus and pursuing him with all their hearts and allowing it to flow over into how they treat one another. You are going to sin against one another. You are going to hurt one another. That's how it goes. But if Christ is first, forgiveness will be first. 
See, the, the guy might read this passage of scripture where it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And might say to themselves, if I give myself up like that, if I pursue her like that, she, she'll, she might abuse it. She might sin against me. She'll take it for granted. She won't recognize the sacrifices I'm making. Yeah. I mean, because we never do that to Jesus, do we? She's gonna. She's a sinner. She may be a hot sinner, but she's a sinner. (laughs) The point is never going to be that she's going to be perfect. The point is going to be that you pursue what Christ calls you to. Your joy will come from that. And if you find a woman who wants to pursue Christ first, the joy of marriage will explode. The joy of being a husband will will pour out. The joy of having a wife will pour out. Marriage is a wonderful, encouraging, strengthening thing. It's It's awesome. It's hard. But the answer is never to abdicate. The answer is never to pull back. The answer is, strangely enough, for you husbands, to be very male and engage. You're going to fail. You're going to sin against her when you think you were doing good. You're going to think you were doing awesome and she's going to come to you and go, I need more. And you're going to go, there is no more. point for you should be Christ likeness Christ pursuit and in that will come the fullness of joy that Jesus promised the role of the husband is to be the Christ figure to give himself up to die to himself to pursue to engage to love to forgive to rebuke And see, what you don't see is that deep inside most of the girls in this room, their hearts are going, yes, yes. If I could find one guy who would be a guy. We were created for reasons. This doesn't mean you need to be the caveman with the club walking around going, No. Strength with tenderness, truth with compassion. These are the aspects of the father that he put into the male. That's what we're called to. Be about Christ and it'll all come together. Let's pray. Our Father and God, um, You have called us to difficult things. You have called us to the impossible, to be perfect. And God, I pray that tonight no one would leave here overly discouraged. It is true that what you call the husband to is impossible in the flesh. 
No man in this room will be the perfect husband. No man in this room will not sin against his wife. But Christ, what you've called us to is Christ's pursuit. And I pray that that's what you would place before each man in this room as his goal for being a husband, Christ pursuit. And I pray that that's what you'd place before each woman in this room and the attribute she most seeks for in a husband. What's her number one list she's looking at? Christ pursuit. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit would come upon uh, these young men and women and just set on fire in them the desire to be an example of Christ in the church in their marriages so that the world would see and rejoice in what can be done when two people will swear themselves to one another in forgiveness and love and forsaking forsaking all others. Father, I pray for your gentle hand to guide us, knowing that your will will accomplish all its purposes. So, for the name and glory of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, next week, wives, we'll see you then. Take care.